Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Bibles opened. We pray that our hearts and minds would also be open. We pray that your spirit would be speaking through your word and that we might follow where you lead. Not of our own ability, for we know that that is uh, weak and broken, but because your spirit is at work, because of the precious work of your son, whereby we are redeemed from sin and death. We pray that you would be at work within us today and every day until you call us home or return. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to to look at who's in charge. But before we begin to get into that, I want to, to... First, actually, look at three pictures, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll explain. Last night, I, I was running bathwater uh, for, for my girls, and, you know, that takes a couple minutes, and so you're kind of sitting on the edge of the tub. If you leave, what ends up happening is you've turned on too much hot or too much cold, and then somebody's going to complain that it's either hot or cold or both. One might do one, one might do the other. And, and so you kind of just have to sit there and babysit it, and there's not a whole lot to do, so... I uh, put on my best teenage impression and pulled out my phone. Uh, and, I, and I then looked at the news, right? And, and so I, I, as I was looking at the, the news stories as they were kind of coming across the screen, I, I thought I'd share them with you. The first one, if you can't read it or, or see it, it says Somali militants attack hotel in Mogadishu, at least 12 killed. And, and the picture there is of a bomb, that, well it's of a building, but a bomb has gone off near it and has blown away some of the, the wall, right? And, and that's what led to the death. The, the second picture uh, is a home and it's got an RV sitting next to it. And if you look closely in the front, uh, you see that there's water damage or, or channels that, that water's been flowing around. The, the driveway's kind of uh, wiped away. And, and it comes with the, the tagline or the title, more than 10 million Americans are under flood alerts Saturday. It's a poignant reminder of water and the dangers it poses. We sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that we have the world sorted, but we don't. And the last is a headline from the New York Times. It's a picture of a a slightly irritated looking Donald Trump and its headline refers to the final days of his presidency. It talks about the the kind of the state of chaos and, and likely the article is talking about potential investigations and, and all the like. My point here is not to, to, to speak one way or the other against Donald Trump. Uh, rather, as we think about this last year, we see that there's confusion in our land. Confusion surrounding our current president. Confusion surrounding our past president. Now, I'm not arguing for one or the other. Maybe you like one and hate the other. Maybe you think that, you know, with, with both of them, that you hate their stinking guts, as Alfalfa would tell, right? Um, my point is just that it's, it's disconcerting as we look at the headline because we see that there's confusion. Uh, we, we could look at, at the three of these headlines together and we see that the world around us is full of violence, disaster, and confusion, as I looked this morning, I repeated the exercise, not the bath time, but the looking at the news, and, and I noted that the, the stories had changed. They'd moved on. 
Different stories, same woe, same difficulties, but different stories. The world is a difficult place. So as we think about, you know, maybe scrolling past the news articles or maybe it, you, you watch your, your news and so you're, you're thinking about the 10 o'clock news and, and you, you have some sort of apprehension as you know the commercials are going to end and you know that the next story is going to come and it's going to be disturbing, how do we understand this pain, this discontent? How do we see What's going on in the world around us and how do we live faithful lives? I mean, we, we recognize what's going on. We, we recognize that these are manifestations of sin, right? We know that Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden. We know that from that time forward, all of creation has been wrestling with the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. And, and just to be clear, I'm not saying it's their fault, not mine. We recognize that to Adam and Eve's sin, each and every day we add our own. And the result is that the world is full of sin and its misery. It, it seems at times, morally speaking, that we're in a giant game of 52-card pickup. Now, if you don't know what 52-card pickup is, like if you're younger and no one's played that with you, uh, go ask your parents when you get home. Be sure to clean up the mess at the end, right? This is the game where you take the, the deck of cards, there's 52 of them, and, and you, you fan them out as though you're going to shuffle them, but you only do it one-handed, and as you fan them out and let them go, they go flying. You know, they could land in any which way. They could land in, you know, uh, uh, suit order. They could land uh, all face up, all face down. They could, but that's not what happens, right? They, they land higgledy-piggledy. They land every which way. Some are face up, some are face down, some are turned this way. There's clumps over here, there's clumps over there. We understand that out of a number of possible combinations, they always tend toward chaos, in, in science, in, in physics or chemistry, the, the term for this is, is entropy. And it, it describes how the, the universe tends toward disorder. Maybe you don't play cards. Maybe you don't know that game or don't want to know that game. Um, I would encourage you to, to look, and, and I'll lump myself in this, at, at a teenager's bedroom. Mine wasn't any better when I was a teenager. Right? It takes very little effort for a bedroom to become incredibly messy and it takes a ton of effort, usually in the form of moping, in order for it to become clean again. It seems that the world has just gone, and there's confusion, there's violence, there's disorder, dissent, disaster. It's, it's difficult to watch. The book of Judges describes a similar world. I mean, there's lots of differences between our day and the book of Judges, but in many ways, in these sorts of ways, it's very similar. Here we see that the people are, are in a chaotic environment. They're struggling under the oppressive hand of an enemy, and they need help. So they call out to the Lord, and he raises up his chosen deliverer to rescue his people. That was in the book of Judges. And I can tell you that the best news we have for today 
is that as we look and we, we look at the headlines and we wonder about all that's going on, we don't even have to waste a millisecond wondering where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It comes from the Lord who, who sent his son, Jesus, that by Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, we might live. Though we still live in a fallen world, we have hope because Jesus is the one who's in charge. Now, as we try to wrap our head around the world of judges, we need to, to figure, uh, we need to think just for a moment about Othniel, the son of Kenaz. So if you, if you happen to shut your Bible, go ahead and open it back up with me and, and turn to Judges. We're going to be looking at the text. We understand as we read through the Bible that the first several books of the Bible fit in roughly chronological order. What does that mean? It means that these, the, this book of Judges fits right after the book of Joshua and right before 1st and 2nd Samuel. The book of Ruth probably happened in the middle of, of the book of Judges, kind of a story on the side. Uh, but it's important as we think about that because you, you note that Je Joshua, the book, ends with the death of Joshua, the man. That event is picked up in the book of Judges. So if we want to know what, what's going on as we, we enter into the, the world of Judges, we, we read this in Judges 2, verses 7 through 10. The people served the Lord, that's, that's good, they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Okay, so good so far. Then it says, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel." So the circumstances of the book of Judges are that, that Moses has led the people, and then a servant comes after Moses, his name's Joshua. He lives for a long time, not quite as long as Moses, but a long time, and he's faithful, and he teaches the elders of Israel how to follow the Lord, and Israel as a nation continues to follow the Lord until Joshua dies, and the elders that knew Joshua die. But then there arose a generation that did not know the Lord or the work of the Lord. This is not starting on a good note. And I'm afraid it, it gets worse. You see, in the book, there's this series of cycles where the people sin, the Lord hands them over to a foreign power, they call out for help, the Lord raises up a deliverer, people are kind of, they're saved. But this just keeps repeating it goes on and on and on. And if we look um, throughout the book, we see that by the end of it, these cycles keep getting interrupted. And, and there is a truly horrific story where Israel sinned and some of the nations destroyed the tribe of Benjamin. And then they said, oh no, what are we gonna do? We've just destroyed the tribe of Benjamin. So they have to repopulate it. It's, it's chaos and destruction all around. And the book ends by saying this. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it's into this world that we find Judges chapter 3. So as we look at verse 7, we see that here it sets the stage where, the, where Israel has done what is evil. It says, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Asherah. What's going on? We see that, that Israel's present. They're in the promised land. Things should be great, flowing with milk and honey. But instead... There are other people with them. And instead of conquering those people, instead of even just sharing the gospel with those people, what do they do? They say, ooh, we'd rather be like you. They say, ooh, we've heard these stories about God who's saved us, part of the Red Sea, brought us out of Egypt, but we're not, we're not there. So we're going to follow these other gods. And, and we see that the Lord, in his providential care, hands them over. So they're ruled by these other nations. In this instance, they're ruled by Mesopotamia. Now, if you look in, your, in the back of your Bible and you just try to find Mesopotamia, it, it usually isn't listed as a place. Um, the word Mesopotamia means between rivers, in the middle of rivers, specifically the Tigris and Euphrates. And when you look there, the, it's, it's Babylon. Now, if you, if you, I do have to say this. If you look at the histories of Babylon and you search for this man named Kushan Rishatayim, you won't find him. Um, and that's because... He goes by a different name. We don't know who it is. Uh, what we know is that Israel is writing about a nation who has come in and conquered it. And they're writing about the king of this nation who's conquered it. And they're writing, and it's not a very polite name that they give him. Meaning it's not the name his mom would have given him. Right? It's, it's, a, it's not a, a joke like ha-ha joke, but it's a, it's, the point of it is to say that, that there's this guy who's evil, and he's leading an evil people, and they've come in and they've conquered Israel. Well, what happens? Quite simply, the people cry out. They spend some time under, under the you know, servitude to the, this, this foreign power, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord raises up Othniel. He's the first judge in the book of Judges that we have record. And if you look with me at verse 9, you see what it says. It says that the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. And then continuing down in verse 9, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. And when he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan Rishatayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand so that he prevailed. There's no battle plan given right? There, there's no miraculous events listed. We don't know of any angel or angelic involvement. We, 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 have, we know nothing about the circumstances of what happened. All we know is that Othniel was God's chosen instrument, raised up. He was successful. The land was at peace for 40 years, which is for a, a, a whole generation, and then he died, the story is so short, even within the book of Judges, that we almost look at it and say it's boring. But the reason it's short is because Othniel doesn't make any mistakes. He's straightforward. He does exactly what he's supposed to. 
The people are in trouble. The Lord raises them up. He delivers the people and they move on. As you go through the book, other people, other judges um, are, are sinful. Other judges don't accomplish what they're supposed to. Otniel's not like that. And, and if we look earlier in the book, we see that he's successful in everything that he does, except one thing. He dies. And when he dies, he's no longer able to judge Israel. At the end of his days, it's done. Now, we might say, well, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't fault him too much for that. I mean, after all, we're all going to die. Um, isn't that a bit harsh? But we need to recognize the predicament that this causes for Israel. In the words of Isaiah, everyone has turned to his own way, right? They're, they're sinning and they're, they're, they don't want to follow the Lord. They want to run in the opposite direction. And before we today here in Soderton say, tisk tisk. The reality is if we were with them, we would do the same. The people required a leader. By the way, so do we. It's part of our being made in the image of God. We're not the product of, of the random interaction of, of ever-increasing molecules, right? Where, where they, they grow in complexity and then all of a sudden we pop out. We are made in God's image. We have a, uh, we have a, a created need to be in relationship to God. I, you know, I, I think this is expressed well in the Chronicles of Narnia. I read it a couple years ago uh, to my daughter, Naomi, um, I'd read it once when I was younger, and there were things I remembered, and I was excited to, to share with her, and there were other things that were, oh, it was a surprise. And, and there was one, one scene that, that caught me. Uh, the story is Prince Caspian. At this point, there hasn't been a, a genuine king of, in Narnia for, for thousands of years, and, and this young man, Prince Caspian, basically says he wants to be the guy, right? And, and he's running for his life and, and he stumbles across a badger and a dwarf. And they're wondering what to do with him. And this is what the, the badger, whose name is Truffle Hunter, says. Don't you go talking about things you don't understand. You dwarves are as forgetful and as changeable as humans themselves. I'm a beast, I am, and a badger, what's more? We don't change, we hold on. And I say good will come of it, meaning the prince. And then he says this. There is a true king of Narnia we've got here. A true king coming back to true Narnia. And we beasts remember, even if everyone else forgets, that Narnia was never right except when a son of Adam was king. That's the situation we're in. Life is never right unless there's a king. So for Othniel, for Israel, yes, he did everything right, but he died, and there was no judge. And we see even in the very next verse, which is, is verse 12, it says, Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord gave them in, over to another country. So we, we see that this is a, a problem that is acute. It, it's not a, well, maybe it's going to happen. No, it, it definitely happens. When the judge is gone, the people descend it back into chaos. It's easy then to understand how the author wants a king. 
It's easy to understand how the author of the book of Judges is hoping that a king will solve it. Because a king is going to die just like a judge, but usually, Lord willing, when the king dies, he has a son who's going to become the king right after. And so the idea is, is simple. If you have a good and right king who's passing good and right laws, and he parents his son well so that his son becomes the king who passes good and right laws, the, the society can flourish. And if we remember that the king was supposed to make a copy of the law and that it was supposed to form his thoughts, it was supposed to form the laws of the day, then, then we can say, yes, maybe a king would help. Sadly, we have the rest of the Old Testament to show us that the presence of an earthly king was not sufficient. A presence of an, of, a, of, a, of an earthly king, even one that followed the Lord and loved the Lord, was not sufficient. I, I would even say for us, if we woke up after the next several election cycles and we realized that all of a sudden we had a, a Christian house of representatives, we had a Christian senate, we, we had a Christian Supreme Court. We had a Christian administration. I mean, top down, left, right, bottom up, every which way. Our government was, was Christian in the sense that it was filled by Christians who thought Christianly and passed Christian laws. We would still have difficulty. To be fair, evil might be restrained somewhat, but we would still have difficulty. Because the real sin, the, 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 the real problem that Othniel was not able to overcome, and none of the kings was able to overcome, was he couldn't take sin away. He couldn't turn the tide of sin. He couldn't make the Israelites say, I want to follow the Lord and the Lord only all of the days of my life. And this question in, in the scriptures is not isolated in the book of Judges. It's throughout. We see as we go through the, the Psalms, as we see, go through the prophets, the, these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they, they had um, an understanding that something better was to come. They understood that the Lord is on his throne and that that throne is forever and ever. This is Psalm 45, and, and we'll pick this up again in a second. But it's not just that. We understand, right, and, uh, that there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come and usher in a kingdom of God. Daniel 7 is one particular place where this happens. We see Daniel has this vision, and, and one with the appearance of a son of man comes up, and he receives a kingdom, and it's one that's not going to pass away. All of these Old Testament pictures are looking forward, wondering, the judges didn't work, the kings didn't work, what, what's, what's it going to take? And under the inspiration of the Spirit, they were hoping for the Messiah. They were hoping for the Messiah and his kingdom, which would not end but would go on forever. The difficulty as we are here in this age is that we need to remember that Jesus is that king. Now to be clear, I, I'm not suggesting that you were likely to wake up tomorrow and go, who was Jesus again? 
or, or, or to say that Jesus wasn't the king, but I mean on a practical level, on a functional level, as we go about our days, you know, we, we, we read the headlines and we look around and there's no throne, right? Jesus, Jesus isn't present here. And so we wonder, how do we move forward? How do we get out of bed each day? How can we face uh, uh, the, the, the chaos? How can we face the, the violence, the disaster, the, the confusion that is present in our world? How can we have any joy in those circumstances when we don't see Jesus with us? Hebrews 1 is helpful here. It reminds us that, that Jesus, having cleansed his people from their sin, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's not just sitting there because it's the best seat in the house, though it is the best seat in the house. He's seated there because at the right hand of the Father is a, is a euphemism for, for God's power, God's authority, God's action. And Jesus is there, continuing to reign, continuing to rule and guide and direct We also see later in the book of Hebrews that the author tells us that Jesus is there in heaven before the Father and he's interceding on our behalf. What does that mean? What does that look like? Please don't think that it means that he still has open wounds and that as we, are, as we sin or we, we do something that is incorrect, he bleeds a little bit more for us. On the cross, the Lord Jesus received all of the wrath of God he bore it all. He died once for all. But now, right now, he is before the Father, going before the Father on our behalf, continuing to intercede for us. The book of, of, of Hebrews even goes so far as to say that he's not like Old Testament priests because he's, you know, they, they like the judges, died. Jesus isn't dead. He's not going to die. He's living forever. We then have a king that we, isn't letting things get out of control. He's not letting things uh, um, uh, go beyond his life, meaning that after he dies, just chaos ensues, as with the judges. He's a king who is reigning forever, and as he reigns, we are his people. As he reigns, we are cared for. As he reigns, we have a hope that is yet to come. I mean, we still look at the same headlines and we still have, have some distress because we see that sin is still present in the world and we, we still from time to time wonder, how, how, is, it that this is, how is it that this is right as, as Job said to the Lord. As we think about this, we realize that Jesus was not content to, to rule from afar, but that he entered into all of the chaos. He entered into all of the violence. He entered into all of the distress of our world, and he bore the wrath of God. Again, taking point for point, joining us and exceeding us 
as we think about how we experience the distressing circumstances of the world. He lays down his life for us. What does this mean? What it means is that as I look at the distress in the world around me, as I wonder what is happening, I look forward first to a time when there is no distress, and second, as I feel the effects of a fallen world, whether it's a loss of a job or, or whether it's a bad diagnosis or whether it's a, a wayward family member or, or just the, 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 the everyday strife that comes when, when people rub up against one another. As I, as I wrestle with that, I realize that the Lord is still God and he's still reigning and he's using circumstances to bring about in me a proven character a perseverance, and a hope. In, John, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus has a high priestly prayer, and, and there he, he prays, and he says to the Father, while I was with them, meaning the disciples, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given to me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished. And then he makes a reference to but the son of perdition. He's talking, about, uh, he's talking about Judas who betrayed him. But he even says there, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. The picture we have with our King Jesus is a king who's reigning in heaven. A king who, as he reigns in heaven, continues to love us and care for us and lead us and will continue to lead us faithfully, drawing us to his home. And it, you know, as I think about that, uh, I've been I've listened to a song here recently. It's a it's a modern Christian song, and it and it's reflecting on Jesus and what he's done, and and it's 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 looking at Jesus the Lamb who was slain, but Jesus the lion who conquers, right? And, and as it does that, it says that Jesus is like a man. He tasted death. He drank destruction to the dregs, but it, that, that's not the end of it. If this were Othniel, if this were any of the judges, if this were any king before Jesus, that would have been the end of it. To taste death, he drank destruction to the dregs, but like a king, his will advanced, he marched on like the prophet said. Jesus is the one who has entered into our sin and grief and misery, yes. He does so not as you or I might, but he does so as the king who has taken away our sin. He does so as the king who gives us new life. And he is now seated in heaven as the king who rules and reigns over all. So tomorrow, as you scroll through the headlines or as you're watching on television, and you will likely see all manner of chaos and destruction, I mean, that, that, that we know will continue. But as you see that, remember that you belong to the king. Not the, the finite temporal king who's going to die or leave you, but the king who sacrificed all for you and ever lives to care 
for you. He's the king who's already defeated sin and death and that he will lead us on. So what then do we do? We now draw near to our king, the one who reigns forever, never to die. Amen. Now as we think about this king that does reign forever, it's good and fitting for us to sing, Hallelujah, what a savior. You might say, well, why that song? Uh, It begins by reminding us that Jesus is a man of sorrows. What a name. But it ends by reminding us that he is our glorious king. Right? He's ransomed you and I that we might be home with him forever. So let us stand and sing hymn 242, Hallelujah, What a Savior.